You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. Matthew 26, verse 1. While you're turning there, I want to tell you back in 1831, there were two brothers named George and Charles Merriam who opened a printing and book selling operation in Springfield, Massachusetts, which became uh, named GNC Merriam Company. Then years later, in 1982, uh, the best decade of, the, of our lives, that company was renamed Merriam-Webster Incorporated. Of course, y'all know them as the dictionary place, all right? 20 years ago, 2003, they started putting out, announcing something called the Merriam-Webster's Word of the Year. Uh, these words are based on definitions, the most searched for definition for that year, meaning the most used or popular word for that year. And if you, if you look at the list, at these word trends, they're actually very telling as to, it's like a one word statement of what was going on globally in the world. For example, in 2003, this is not 2023, this is 2003, 20 years ago, Israel retaliated for a suicide bombing by killing a top member of, of, of Hamas, right? This fighting's been going on for a minute, which uh, caused the military, uh, the militant militia of Palestine to withdraw from a ceasefire. Right, that was two decades ago. That same year, U.S. and Britain launched war against where? Iraq. Some of y'all may have fought there. Uh, March nineteenth, twenty two thousand three. You had you had new uh, you had a new Palestinian and a new Israeli prime minister elected that year. You had Liberia's president ousted. You had conflict in Burma, Venezuela. Even Canada got a new prime minister. All right. Then we saw Saddam Hussein captured by American troops December 13th, 20 years ago, all right? So what do you think, given all that political environment, given all those new leaders, what do you think the word of the year was in 2003? Democracy, right? So the, the word of the year is actually very telling as to world news. Now, it's 2023, <laughs> what do you think the word of this year is, which they just announced a couple of weeks ago? Merriam-Webster's word of the year. Huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> bailout? Did someone say bailout? No. It's, it's, it's authentic. The 2023 word of the year is authentic. All right? Authentic has a number of meanings, including uh, not false or imitation, a synonym of real and actual, and also true to one's own personality, spirit, and character. Although clearly a desirable quality, authentic is hard to define and subject to debate. Two reasons it sends many people to the dictionary. Authentic is often connected to identity, whether national or personal. And with the rise of artificial intelligence and its impact on deep fake videos, actors' contracts, academic honesty, and a vast number of other topics, the line between real and fake has become increasingly blurred. Authentic is what brands, uh, social media influencers, and celebrities aspire to be. Elon Musk made headlines when he said that people should be more authentic on social media. Apps and platforms like Be Real make recording authentic experiences their main purpose. No matter how much artifice and calculation goes into the production of these videos, as Rebecca Jennings of Vox puts it, whether people are supposedly being authentic on the internet, wherever they're doing this, the money will flow. 
Isn't that funny? Ironically, with authentic content creators now recognized as the gold standard for building trust, authenticity has become a performance. Well, I got news for you, church. If it's a performance, it's not authentic. It's just acting one way when you're really another, which is what we call a deep fake, all right? Uh, and the word of the year for 2023 may be authentic, but the traitor of a lifetime is Judas Iscariot. I don't know of any other human in biblical history who fits a better definition of a deep fake than Jesus' own beloved disciple, Judas. And I want to study him today and learn from his life and tragedy. Matthew 26, verse 1, and I want us to read this together. May God bless the reading of his word. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest whose name was Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, and she poured it out on his head as he reclined at the table. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? This could have been sold for a large sum of uh, money and given to the poor. But Jesus, uh, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you, you'll not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she has, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, what will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed and they prepared the Passover. Now we don't know if those, if that was a miracle that took place there and if God had appeared to someone in a vision or what, you know, it doesn't explain it. Uh, so I, I guess it wasn't God's intention to, for us to focus too much on that, but they were taking the Lord's Supper, I mean, uh, the preparing for the Passover. And verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful, and I began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. May God bless the reading of his word. I want to ask Nate Randall to come and ask God to show us favor, let us learn from his word, help me as I preach. Thank you, Nate. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this wonderful day. As we read your word, speak through it and speak to us through the Bible and uh, let it take us with us, take it with us for the next week to give to others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you. Judas, uh, he's become synonymous with traitor or, or con artist. He's probably the most well-known deep fake in all the Bible. And it's interesting that he's listed. Uh, every time you see the apostles listed, the 12 apostles, he's always listed last. Matthew 12, uh, 10, verse 2, uh, in that list, we see first Simon, who's called Peter. Secondly is Andrew, his brother. James, the son of Zebedee. John, uh, his brother. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus. Thaddeus, Simon, the zealot. And Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Same thing, Mark 3, 16 through 19. Same thing, Luke 6, 13 through 16. Of course, after Jesus ascended, uh, Judas isn't even mentioned at the list in Acts 1, 13 and 14. And though Judas met a tragic end, it is a sad tale, he left a story that I believe trains us on how to spot a deep fake and how to protect our souls from becoming one. So the first thing we learn here, and I only have two main points this morning, but the first thing we learn here is that con artists create their own structures of value. They may not know it, they may be unaware of it, uh, but there's a pyramid of need in their minds, and it's clearly displayed by what they value and spend their money on. Just like uh, a Pharisee who creates our churches <laughs> or cults who, who add laws to the word of God, right, to make themselves look more righteous and, and holy, right? So deep fakes create financial priorities that are unbiblical paradigms that justify their own greed. I can afford a bigger TV, a bigger flat screen, and new windows on my house, thousands and thousands of dollars on my kids' competitive sports leagues and deer camps and ATVs and clothes I'll wear one time. And by the way, I'm not better than you in this. I'm not up here like preaching down. I mean, I may be geographically <laughs> looking down on you, but I'm not, I'm not in my heart. I'm right there with you. I, have, I make good purchases and I make bad purchases, right? My point is we make our own priorities and some of our financial priorities do not align with scriptural value. We just don't always place Christ and his church very high on our financial filter. And I thank God that y'all do. Many of our church, you give faithfully. I don't know what you give, but I know we meet our goals, Lottie Moon, every year. And which, by the way, ours is 30000 this year. And I think we're a third of the way there or more already. So praise God for that. But so I, I, this is to whomever can receive it, right? We just don't always place Christ at first. Now, what's that got to do with Judas? <laughs> Everything, Right? I want to say two things here. First, Judas had the wrong form of measurement. What's the first rule? Where's, is Luke Kendall in here? By the way, Luke and Carrie are going to take over the younger class, the college, and uh, younger folks starting next Sunday, and I'm excited for them to take that. That's a tough crew, <laughs> a transition. Uh, but Luke's uh, a handyman. What's the first rule of carpentry? Measure, cut, once. Hey, Judas... He didn't measure twice, right? Matthew 26, verse six. Now, when Jesus was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, a woman came up to him with an alabaster flask of very expensive ointment, which by the way, we're talking about a year's wages. So I don't know what you make, 70 grand, 170 grand, but that's how much she spent in that, that average pay of her day. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, this wouldn't 
I mean, this would be crazy today if that happened. You'd think they were insulting somebody. But in that culture, this would have not been that crazy. It, the, the amount that, that you spent would have been. And when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? For this could have been sold for a large sum of money. Now, it wasn't just Judas, by the way, that was indignant, right? Now, he does go on to separate himself from the others in response uh, in Jesus' explanation of this heavenly structure of value. But it seems like all the disciples initially were indignant and they were saying, why this waste? Not only did they call this woman's sacrificial act of worship a waste, they went on to suggest a better recipient for the money. <laughs> did you catch that? Uh, verse 9, for this could have been sold for a large sum and given to the poor. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's not the disciples working overtime. They're not out there catching extra fish and selling them to, for their own money. But boy, are they ready to criticize other people how they spend theirs. Sounds strangely familiar, doesn't it? <laughs> people that don't know how to spend their own money telling you how to spend yours. Now here comes Jesus' measurement. That was man's measurement. Waste. Here's, here's Jesus' measurement, verse 10. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she, these are words of Jesus, has done a beautiful thing to me. For you'll always have the poor with you. By the way, we'll see in a minute, Jesus himself was actually poor by the worldly standards of that day and the way he lived. You'll always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. And pouring this ointment on my body, she's done it to prepare me for burial. You're not listening to me. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And here we are, 2,000, two millennia of telling this woman's story. Jesus told the truth. People don't even know the names of the disciples, do they? But they know this. <laughs> they know this story. What the disciples called a waste, Jesus called beautiful. Church, let me just ask you, do you see giving to the Lord as a waste? Do you see what Jesus calls beautiful as foolish? Friend, your money given to the Lord, whether it's given to the needy, given to the gospel around the world, given to the support this local church and all her ministries, it is not a waste. And let's, listen, even if we don't spend the money the right way, God help us. But when you're giving to the Lord, the churches or whomever, their disobedience and how they spend it is between them and God. My obedience is dependent on me. When I forgive someone, if they go off and act a fool, my forgiveness isn't gone. I've obeyed the Lord. My act of worship is obedience to God in giving, in whatever it is. Whether, the, whether it turns out, what if the, the needy people you help don't, don't honor the generosity of your heart. They don't know what you have in the bank or how little or how much, and you're giving to them for no reason, nothing that they've earned or deserved. You just chose to give it uh, this afternoon. Y'all, y'all rocked it on the, on the angel tree gifts and Andy and others are taking the, um, the, the gifts over to Frazier to give out, right? Well, what if they don't appreciate our gifts? It doesn't take away from the gift giver. Do y'all understand that? People who hold back their money and their tithes and their offerings because there's something they don't like the color of the carpet. Shame on you. Now, we want, I'm, we're transparent. We got budgets back there. If you're a regular member of the church, uh, you can go back and get one and look at it. I don't care. We're, we're very transparent. I try not to hide anything. I don't know if I'm probably too transparent sometimes, all right? But 
It do, if we spend it wrong, that's on us, if, 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 on the church and the leaders of the church. But we shouldn't take away from the giving. Judas was weighing money with the wrong scales. He had the wrong measurement. And second, Judas had the wrong master. Matthew 6, 24 says, now no one can serve two masters. He'll either hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't, these are words of Jesus again, you cannot serve God and money. Judas picked the wrong master. I was talking to a guy this week, you know, who struggled, you know, wanting to do better for his family. And I told him on the phone, I said, let me tell you something. What you're doing for your family and in your life right now is eternal value. If your kids grow up without everything their buddies have, guess what? They'll make it. If they grow up with a godly father, that means more than all the money in the world. Amen. And we can be those men whether our parents were or not. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. I, I picture a guy, a, a, a guy up on his ladder of a second two-story house, and he's cleaning out his gutters to save an extra buck, right? And while he's cleaning the gutters, the ladder slips out from under him. He grabs a hold of, of the gutters and somehow miraculously, even though uh, he's well overweight, I don't know how he didn't rip the gutters off the side of the house, but he's hanging there dangling. And he looks down and there's Jesus. And Jesus says, I got, I got you, just let go. And you're like, wow, Jesus just appeared to me. He's gonna catch me. Okay, but you don't let go. Jesus says, go on, let go. I see you, Jesus. I see you. I see you. I see you. But you don't let go. Jesus says, listen, child, would you just trust me and let go? And you say, I believe you. I believe you. I trust you, Jesus. But you don't let go. About a second later, gutter rips off, knocks out two windows, right? You fall on your back and break your ankle and you begin to curse God. <laughs> Is that not the picture of humanity? We, we jump around and our God, you know, he's so awesome. Your God is so good. He's so good. And you clench your money in your fist. <laughs> so you can have everything I've got, but not this, you know, it's like you've held your wallet out of the water when you got baptized, you know, <laughs> listen, what sickens me the most isn't uh, a Christian's greediness. And trust me, I can be greedy. I grew up in a generous home and I try to be generous, but I'll, I'll just, I mean, it's, it's God we're talking about. How are you going to be generous, you know, really? And, uh, but my, 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 what sickens me is not the wicked, selfish soul that clenches his money. It's not the foolish man who disguises his greed with Scripture. You know, Satan did that when he tempted Jesus. Use Scripture. Use one law to fight another. First uh, Timothy 5.8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Right? So you got yourself in debt and you're like, I got to get out of this. I can't, I can't give to the Lord during that. You know, there's all kinds of excuses like that. And by the way, it's a form of blasphemy to manipulate, to use Satan's own methods <laughs> to justify your greed. What breaks my heart the most is not that. It's, and many of you have experienced this, and I know you have, is the pleasures and joys of generosity. And that's why we love Christmas so much. It's like this one little moment in our pagan world's life where we just hit pause on greed. We go out and spend more than we should. 
but we have this, this generous, we have this generosity, these pictures of generosity everywhere. Whether you like the gift or not, it's just an awesome time of the year, right? Gift giving, it's, a, it's, it's beautiful. It's actually Christ-like to, to want to give gifts to others. And those that are greedy rob themselves of the pleasure, their heart's pleasure, the miraculous provisions of God. When we say, hey, Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna pay these bills. I don't know how I'm gonna pay this bill, but I'm gonna give first fruits to you and I'm gonna let you tell me how to spend the rest. And if, you, if we're not doing that as believers, how are we different than Judas? How are we weighing value in our homes different than him? I loathe, loathe money-hungry evangelists, TV evangelists, preachers who have their own spot out in the parking lot. I hate that stuff. And if you know me, you know how much I hate it, right? And I've rebuked plenty of people through my life. I don't take those things. And I don't think I'm better than them, but I, I hate that. May God help us. But I assure you, if we measure money through the minds of men, we're imposters. But if we measure our money, God's money, through the lens of a mustard seed of faith, God will take that mustard seed and he'll grow it and bless it. And I've been the recipient of that all my life. I've seen it over and over. I've had nothing. I've, my bank account has literally been, I'm not talking uh, uh, something on the side somewhere else, hidden account. I'm talking, I've been down to $32 as a married man with kids, $32 left to my name. I've been down to $81 another time and God filled my account back up by miraculous ways. And if you're not trusting the Lord, you're missing you're missing out on that value. And I think Judas had the wrong measurement and the wrong master because cons create their own structure of value. Don't be a con. Secondly, the only second point this morning, con artists are blind to their own hypocrisy. And church, there's a sinful unawareness, a scary uh, self-righteousness that tempts all of us. Uh, and it overtook Judas Right? It's the very thing, that very thing that you wrestle with when you're mad at your spouse and you're just failing to see, you're, you're just blind to your own sin. We all do that. We've all been there. Somebody cuts us off and you're like, well, you just cut that dude off three minutes ago and didn't even know it, right? Rushing to the, get in the parking lot. So first, Judas is unaware of his own sin, meaning Judas seems to be angry at Jesus's acceptance of Mary's misuse of money, he's so angry that he goes out and betrays Jesus for what? <laughs> money, a misuse of money. There is nothing more hypocritical than that. To, to, to rebuke someone and then to, get, to, to show your vengeance against that someone, you go out and do the same thing you're mad at them about. <laughs> so in Matthew 26, verse eight, they were indignant. They said, why the waste? This could have been spent on the poor. And Jesus, aware of this, which means they were probably bickering to themselves about it. He says, well, well, why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a beautiful thing to me. Jesus is raising the value of her generosity. For you always will have the poor with you. She's, she's anointed my body. This is, this is gonna be an eternal story. Y'all's names, y'all, people won't even know. Y'all, they're gonna know this woman. Then one of the 12, right after that happened, one of the 12, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, when did he go? When did he go to the chief priest? Right after this woman anointed Jesus, after he saw her misuse of money. 
one of the most hypocritical acts in the Bible. He criticizes Jesus for improper use of money, then goes out and takes a bribe to break the greatest commandment of all times to love your neighbor as yourself. Friend, the thing that seems to instigate Judas's betrayal was Jesus's willing acceptance of such an extravagant gift from such a humble woman, Mary. How dare, which we know, we don't read her name here. I think the John account of the story tells that her name was Mary. How dare he accept such lavishness, right? You can almost, I can almost hear Judas in his mind saying, that's it, I'm, I'm done. That's ridiculous. How dare he? But his hypocrisy is so fierce that he doesn't just say I'm done. He thinks Jesus should be done too. And so he proceeds to go out, find the chief priest. He doesn't wait till they ask him for a price. He doesn't say, hey, I'm gonna do this pro bono. This guy's so bad. I'm gonna do this for the good of the people. No, he says in verse 15, what are you gonna, what will you give me? I mean, like haggling over a, a scarf or a purse in New York. <laughs> what do you give me for it? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. It scares me, church, when supposed Christians look down their spiritual noses at others in disdain and are oblivious to their own wickedness with no culpability in their own actions. They are blind to their own hypocrisy, just like Judas. Judas was unaware of his own sin. Second, Judas is unaware of his own savior. Now, we already know he chose the wrong master by his actions, but we also see this from the words in the text. Matthew 26, 20, when it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who's dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. And we don't know if maybe more people had dipped their hands in the dish, you know, and, you know, it was like a, a riddle or something. But verse 24, the son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the man to whom the son of man is betrayed. It would be better for him not to have been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, rabbi? He said to him, you said so. So you can picture them going around the table, you know, the 12, and they're like, is it I, Lord? What about me? Is it I? Is it I, Lord? Please tell me it's not me. Is it I? Is it I, Lord? Every one of them, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And when you come in verse 25 to, to Judas, what does he say? Is it I, Rabbi? Jesus here doesn't, I mean, Judas here doesn't confess Jesus as Lord. Only Rabbi. Uh, it's what separates most of the world religions. Many cults believe about Jesus. It's hard to deny. Even on liberal TV shows, they, they can't deny the historical figure of Jesus. It's too much evidence. But they refuse to believe that Jesus, uh, to believe in him and place their faith in him, right? And let me tell you something. People that can't see Jesus cannot see their own sin. You look at people and go, how can you not see that? But friend, they're not, their eyes haven't been opened. The scales haven't fallen off, right? Judas didn't confess him as Lord, only rabbi. Maybe Judas, and, and listen, I think Judas is the only one of the 12 apostles that's not uh, out of Galilee. And so maybe there's been theories that maybe he had this kind of outsider complex. You know, maybe he, he used his own self-isolation to create a false internal narrative of victimization. Like I'm a victim here. They like, he likes them more than me, right? We don't know what he was thinking. But what we do know 
is that he was so consumed with his own greed that he was not only unaware of his own sin, but he didn't even understand Jesus who he'd spent so much time with, right? Did, did Judas not know that the son of God came as a helpless baby in Luke 2, 6, placed in a cattle trough? You could have given it to the poor. Did Judas, after all the personal time he spent with Jesus, still not know what was so clear to Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Is that not the driving force of pure Christ-like generosity? Is that not one of the reasons we love Christmas and all the giving that goes with it? Did Judas miss Luke 9, 58? The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Could Judas not see that the wealth would come by Christ's poverty? Now, listen, I know that Judas felt regret over what he did because Matthew 27, verse 1 says, when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He didn't say I've sinned by betraying the savior of the world. He just said I've sinned because the dude was innocent. They said, what is that to us? They didn't care. Pharisees don't care. Legalistic people don't care about other people. See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple, he departed and he went out and he hung himself. And it's worth noting that the word for changed his mind in the Greek is not the same word for changing his direction, which is the word repentance. A change of mind is, is only a feeling of regret or remorse for something we did. But the word for repentance means we have a change of heart. Judas had a change of, in his mind, but he didn't have a change of heart. So it's not just that Judas hadn't made Christ Lord of his life. Judas failed to see Christ as capable of forgiving him. He didn't see the forgiveness only available through Jesus. And church, let me just say this. When we refuse to apologize to anyone, even if they've been in the wrong and we, we feel slighted in some way, if we refuse to grant forgiveness or apologize for something we've done, what we're saying is not just that I don't, I don't understand the, the forgiveness that Jesus has given me. What we're saying is I don't trust God to give you the power to forgive me. You're, you're, you're not only shaming Jesus, you're shaming the person that you refuse to apologize to, assuming that God can't prompt their heart to actually say, yes, I forgive you, but I was the one in the wrong. That's what you're saying. You're saying you know something only God knows, which is idolatry. <laughs> you're putting your brain over God's brain, right? So once again, uh, con artists force their own ending. Just like if y'all were here for Ahithophel, uh, several weeks ago, he should have been running back to David. He should have known how David would have forgiven him. He should have begged God for forgiveness, but instead he went and hung himself. Jesus wasn't sorry he had sinned against Christ. Listen, church, listen. He was sorry that his undeserved, vengeful betrayal of Jesus didn't satisfy his own soul the way he had hoped it, he, he had hoped it had. That's what a lot of people do. 
They're not actually sorry. They're just sorry that this drunkenness, this relationship, this greed, this whatever, this bigger house, this, this membership, whatever it is, they're just, they're, they're, they're repentant, not over the, that, over their sin. They're just mad that it didn't, they have remorse that it didn't satisfy them. It's regret. It didn't bring me what I wanted. I, wa- I thought it was going to be better than this. And it wasn't. Even though Judas was the devil incarnate, Jesus had said of him, he wasn't really, but I mean, Jesus had said one of you is the devil, right? Even though those religious chief priests and elders didn't give a rip about Judas, Jesus did. Friend, listen, you may feel misery in your sin, but suicide and self uh, affliction will never silence your pain. <laughs> you know why? Because there's only one true pain reliever. That's not Tylenol or Advil. It's Jesus Christ. Authentic faith in Jesus. Even though Judas betrayed Jesus of all things with a kiss, Christ would have forgiven Judas if he had just repented. As a matter of fact, let me just end with this. How did Jesus address his betrayer while he was betraying him? Turn to Matthew 26, verse 50. Y'all got to see this with me. Matthew 26, verse 50. Jesus said to him, what? Friend, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. Friend, as Jesus was being betrayed, he called him friend. What a beautiful picture of Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are sinners, while we were yet sinners, while we're in the act of betraying Jesus, sending him to the cross, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is the gospel. That is Christmas. (laughs) What better time of year to fall on your face, fall at the feet of Jesus, who fell at the hands of wicked men so that you could be forgiven. That's what he wants this Christmas from you. Would you stand? Father God, we we worship you today. We, We glean from the life of Judas we're, you know, our greed is exposed, our selfishness is exposed, our lack of surrender is exposed. And I pray now, Lord, if there are people in here, if there are Christians who are just holding on to things, they won't let their past sins go, they're having trouble confessing current sins, they just, they're just, they're in a funk, a spiritual funk, a bad place, and they just need to call out to you and say, God, I, I'm Judas. I've betrayed you, but I'm not going to go hang myself. I'm going to, I'm going to fall at your feet. You can fall at the feet of Jesus right now as a Christian and say, God, forgive me. I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. And I want to put it in the past, but Satan just keeps bringing it back up and making me regurgitate it over and over. And though sin leaves its scars, God, I know you forgive them. And so cry out to God and say, God, I trust you as a Christian to take my sin away and give me the best Christmas I've ever had says you have not because you ask not ask for it ask for the best Christmas you've ever had
for those that don't know Christ, I pray to God that he shows you what a Judas you really are. <laughs> we are all a bunch of Judases sitting in here betraying Jesus on a daily basis. This, this God who loves us unconditionally, this God who came, sent his son Jesus to die for us, who willingly bore our pain. Lord, we cry out to you. I pray that anyone in here that doesn't know Christ would cry out to Jesus and say, God, I'm Judas. Forgive my sins. Save my soul. I believe in your death, burial, and resurrection. I believe you're the only way to heaven, God. I'm trusting you now. Come and make that public. I pray that if others just need to join this church and be part of a church family, you have a physical family, but you need a spiritual family. I pray you'd come and make this your home, a place to exercise your spiritual gifts and, and with the power of the Holy Spirit. God, help us be obedient now. In Jesus' name, amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.